Welcome to Open All Ours, the QPR podcast. I'm David Fraser. This is the season finale, a, a really long season. Um, we are sitting here recording this on the 29th of July. Our first podcast of the season was recorded on the 30th of July, 2019. And so literally 365 days later, we are sat here recording the one to wrap up that very same season. I'm joined by four other QPR fans. In fact, the five of us did that first podcast back in July last year. Um, there's Paul Finney here somewhere. How you doing? Hi, hi Paul. There's also Chris, Chris Charles. Okay. No, you're on mute, but he said hi. There's Flo Lloyd Hughes. Hello, hello. He's not on mute. You're looking very professional. You have a microphone and a muffler and headphones, and it's almost like you do this for a living. I know. If only it'd been put to good use um, during lockdown, but unfortunately, the phone stopped ringing as it did for a lot of people. But um, yeah, we, we soldiered on, and we're still here. <laughs> well, welcome. And Clive Whittingham is here. Hello. In in your QPR training top, resemblant <laughs> of Mark Warburton. Yeah, well, I, you know, I thought I'd take the club mouthpiece stuff to heart and put the uniform on as well. I've got Paul Morrissey's in the kitchen doing my dinner. Do you want me to get him to come in and say hello? Yes, please. <laughs> um, okay. So we have to wrap up this. Oh, sorry. I, one thing I haven't done, very bad presenting, but we have been bought the beers tonight. I can't see too many beers on this Zoom call. I think Chris Charles has got one. Don't know why we still call you by your full name, Chris. It's been about four years since the other Chris left. Yeah, I'm like Beyonce these days, mate. Everyone just calls me by my first name. Yeah, Chris has got has got a red stripe. Finney has got some sort of cider. Clive has got a wine glass. Don't know what Flo's got. I have a soft drink. But they have been... um, The beers tonight have been donated by Stephen Forbes. So thank you, Forbesy, and thanks to everyone else. Um, Thank you, Stephen. Sponsored us throughout the season. Okay. Um, We were going to do a bit of a season review. Before we do that, let's review... um, the last quickly uh, uh the last game of the season which was a week ago now which of course was the west brom game um who wants to start on that finney <laughs> well yes because i'm i'm sitting here because i'm i was busy last week and i've had things to, to do and things to say and i thought we were excellent last week and in true qpr fashion with all this stuff about brentford and bloody bloody blah they messed it up themselves. Nothing to do with us. We did our bit and we played really well and um, a good way to end the season. I don't think any player put a foot wrong. Is it just me or is it just that the plan A looks brilliant as long as we don't have to use plan B? Because when we are when we play like that, we're pretty much unplayable at times. And it just, I think it was a good end of the season and it, it gives hope for next season, which will probably be over by September. Yeah, I agree with that. It was... It was... Ideal. I mean, I had these thoughts running through my head, and I know we discussed it, thinking, "Oh, maybe it would be better if we we, we didn't win and 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 um, you know just stop Brentford and Fulham." But yeah, I couldn't bring myself to do that, um, and I was absolutely delighted that we didn't lose first and foremost. And then, like you said, they messed it up anyway, and it was quite funny just like watching the, the, the forums uh, in between and uh, just seeing Fulham and Brentford fans begging us to score goals. Um, which is quite fun. Um, like you say, we did our bit. There's accusations, you know, beforehand that we might roll over and, and get the 150 grand for for, for Darnell. Um, but we played really well. I think we're probably really unlucky not to use. It's a, a great goal we scored as well. And yeah, um, it was a good goal. Uh, was it a good way to go out? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think we. Um, I. It, 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 it's just so frustrating. I've said this. It, it's took us like maybe five or six games to seemingly to get match fit and to start producing the sort of stuff we were producing before. That, that's my only regret. 
just a shame we couldn't have hit the ground running then. Who knows? Because it, it wasn't map points to get into sixth place. I think it was 70, wasn't it? Swansea got on goal difference. Um, so it was always going to be a tall order. But yeah, fair play to them. They, they finished with their, they, they didn't finish with their uh, with their sandals on, dipping their toes in the sea. So that was good to see. Flo, do you think the season finished a bit too early for us? Because we, we finished with three decent results compared to what came before. And I know you went to one or two of them. Um, a bit shame that it had to end when it did, isn't it? Yeah, we were finally finding our feet a little bit after obviously a pretty mm. terrible six, seven games after lockdown. And uh, we've all sort of talked about how sluggish we looked and perhaps it just took us that much longer to get back to full fitness. And with a certain, maybe a few players knowing what the future holds for them, they were probably a, a bit more willing to set themselves free a little bit and also impress at the same time in the shop window. So, yeah, it was great to see us finish with a bang and also play our part in the last day of the season, which is quite nice to be involved. Um, otherwise, you know, we didn't really have anything to play for. So it was still nice to make ourselves relevant and show to the rest of the league the threat that we are um, and hopefully will still be next season. Okay, so I mean, it seems ages ago now, doesn't it? That West Brom game. I mean, it was a week, but it seems a lot longer than a week ago. And we sort of need to get into the season. So we are going to go through. We said we were going to go through five particular things from the season. Um, like, so we are. Everyone's going to go through their moment of the season, their goal of the season, their hero, villain. And we said apply a grade for Mark Warburton. We did have some debate whether that was going to be A, a to C or, or whether that was going to be out of 10. Um, I've said eight. sorry, A to E. I've said A to E, but it doesn't really matter. Finney, you've got your finger up, obviously waiting to make a very important point. Yes, Clive. Can I make a, can I make a request, please, if you don't mind? Next season, can you say someone's not playing well and they come back and smash into fantastic goals in two games and made my mate about 400 quid. Who are we talking about? Ryan Manning. Claire was like, oh, he hasn't been the same since lockdown. Comes back, my mate stick loads of money on for two goals, made 400 quid. Clive, pick out somebody who hasn't scored for ages and do that next season and give us a heads up uh, next time. I mean... They don't want to be that guy, but he did also cost us two goals with his uh, with his lousy defending. I'm, I'm making it sound like I don't like Ryan Manning. I always say I love Ryan Manning, but uh, his defending his defending leaves a lot to be desired. His defending on that second goal at West Brom was <laughs> I just I've watched it over and over again. I just can't even work out what's uh, what's going through his mind. Really, I mean, the, the good thing about West Brom was it did speak to. Um, Standards, you know, we often slag them off, don't we? Like after losing London derbies and things like that, game we didn't need to perform in, didn't didn't need to get a result in. To be fair, but for some wayward finishing by Robinson, you know, we would have lost the game. But um, yeah, I thought it it spoke to to Mark Warburton's kind of professional approach to things and the standards he's trying to to put forward here. You know, we all love Ian Holloway. Everyone loves Ian Holloway, but a, a similar situation to that two years ago. Norwich on the last day, we got Hump 4-0, absolutely abysmal, just phoned it in. Um, so, yeah, but no, nice to see Manning scoring a couple of goals. And Eze on the telly as well, Eze's goal on the TV, that won't have done us any uh, won't have done us any harm. No, we might genuinely have a bidding war opening up for him. Um, so, let's talk about the season. I listened to that first podcast that we did. I listened to most of it this afternoon. And like with all these things, there's sort of various predictions and things that are said and things that um, uh, we kind of guess might happen that I'd, some come to pass, most of them don't. There were some sort of amusing things that came up. First of all, none of us had heard of Connor Masterson. Um, none of us at all. I think maybe, Finney, you pretended you had. No, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm not in an agreement. Not, not in as I was smart arse. So, you know, I hadn't. Carry on. There were very big hopes for um, our striker, Jan McClaw, 
Um, I think so. So Clive did an interview with Mark Warburton, those who who remember it, and Warburton sounded the part, and we were all quite excited. He was especially excited about Little Matt Smith and Jan McClough. Um, he kind of mentioned them multiple times in his interview, so that didn't really happen. Um, we talked a lot about an expected arrival from Aberdeen that we thought was coming that week, which didn't come. Remind me of the name of the player? Scott McKenna. I think he's going to Celtic now. Scott McKenna. Um, we There was some. Uh, there was quite a lot of feeling that Luke Amos would be our player of the season. Um, I don't think he was our player of the season, but he certainly didn't go the way of Jan McLaren, Matt Smith. So that was sort of C plus, I suppose, in terms of um, predictions. Um, but it also was kind of not that, not too much expectation because 15 players had gone out and 15 players had come in. Um, so I suppose in a general sense, general question, uh, and I don't know who wants to go first, but what is your, what's your general verdict on the season? Flo. Pretty successful all in all. I think... If you take that stretch of six, seven after lockdown out of the equation, I think it's been a, re- a really successful season given where we started and given we were one of the favourites of relegation. None of us were feeling that confident. So many ins and, ins and outs having to build a new team. To finish 13th after all of that, yeah, we had some pretty rotten performances in the last few weeks, but that is a massive achievement given what we had to work with. Um, so I think we de- I think we overachieved, really. I think probably most of us were expecting to finish about 16th again, 16th again. And that even would have been seen as fairly positive because, you know, we're not getting relegated and, and that's such an important thing for the stability of the club going forward. So I think 13th after all that, after all the changes and not only to finish 13th, but to have some amazing games. And I, I put one of my favourite games of the season was that 6-1 against Cardiff. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And and the FA Cup win against Swansea as well. There were some mad performances um, this season and really enjoyable football, high tempo most of the time. And, you know, we got to see two big stars shine in Eze and Bright Isaiah Samuel. So I think, you know, a, a good season, all things considered. Do you want me to put a grade on it or? Go on. So for Warbs, I put B plus just because of I don't think they handled the lockdown particularly well. We talked about the club complaining about the return of things. And I'm a bit concerned about the training programs that the players were asked to do at home because they seemed extremely unfit compared to everyone else in the league. And also Mm. when we spoke to some of the players themselves, they seemed quite unhappy as well. So I was a bit worried and disappointed on how that was handled. But if it wasn't for that, I would have given Warbs an A minus. But because of that, I give him a B plus and I give this overall season an A minus. Benny? Um, well, I'm going to do mine one to 10 because I was kicked out of school for being sick and I don't blame them. I'd have kicked me out too. Um, so, we're doing, weird... so we're doing the Warburton grading now in our yes, summer. I, 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 I get that. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I think it, like Flo said, bar a few dodgy results and a, a few iffy performances, um, in our usual state Christmasy time and after lockdown, blah, blah, blah. We've done really well. We've, 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 we've started to ship and, to me, the great sadness of it all is, that for once, we've actually managed to get the flipping wage bill right down. We're doing everything properly. We're putting ourselves in really good foundations. Along comes COVID and all that good work that everyone's put in place. It's just been sw- swept away. But the plus side of that is, if we hadn't done that, come COVID, we'd have been absolutely shagged. So that's a good thing in some ways that we've we've kind of organised the wage bill because we have we have. I mean. I remember me and Clive were talking about it when I was pissed off after losing the Brentford and I was a region. But then when I sat in the court like a day, I thought, yeah, that's that's a pretty good achievement that Warburton's done. He's come in. All the players, some of the, a lot of the players haven't worked out. That's life. So but we started with a manager and we finished with a manager. That's a massive positive for the club. And um I think we need to stick with him. We need to give him time. Be interested to see what he does with his own players now that he's 
mould at the school he does. And if we, I would like a finisher at the club, but we're always saying that, aren't we? Let's be honest. But um, without Ezzy and Bright Sammy next season and possibly Manning, it's going to be another load of people coming in and going out. But um, yeah, I, I, I would, I think he's, he talks well, he, 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 he protects his players well, he cares about the club. And I think, in all honesty, we're, we're, we could have a little gem there with Warburton that he can go forward with. And um, I would grade him about eight and a half because I would only give 10 if we had a championship winning season and nine if we beat Fulham and Brentford on a regular basis, which we haven't. But yeah, 13th, got to grab it with both fans. We're taking that and we're doing okay. Just as long as we keep cutting that wage bill and keep ourselves from that little bit of going bankrupt and, and, and we can bring some more kids through. Cause that's the main thing. And I mean, the Kai Kai coming through and everything else is brilliant. We just, you know, live, live for the, bringing the kids through more than the mercenaries. So yeah, he's done to me, he's done really well. And I like him as a person. When he was on the podcast, he showed real respect for everyone on the podcast. Didn't do that football thing of like, you don't get the game. You don't understand that he, he, he treated us like adults and I respect him for that. So yeah, definitely well done, Mr. Wilberton. You've done a good job. Eight and a half, what are we saying that is? Eight minus? That's an A minus, isn't it? I was expelled at 14. What do I know? Not sure. Clive? <laughs> I, um, I'm, I'm torn a little bit. Um, I think given the state we were in at the end of last season, if you, if you remember how we all felt at the end of last season, I think we won three games in the whole second half of last season. Obviously, McLaren left. Eustace was in caretaker manager. We lost basically our two best players, Luongo and Freeman, from that. Having previously lost Smithies, Anua, Robinson, I think I was really worried last summer. I think it's difficult to... And Matt Smith as well. Yeah, it's difficult to turn over a squad as much as we did in one transfer window with that many going in and going out, even if you have got money to spend and we didn't and we had to spend less. We didn't have any transfer money to spend we spent less on wages. We got the wage bill down. So to take a team that only won three games in the second half of the season and lost its best player, spend less money on it, and then improve. We've we are higher up the league, scored more goals, played better football, won more games, won more away games. I think that's quite that's quite an achievement. Um, the, there's some stuff that should have been sorted out and still hasn't been sorted out. Like the, you, we're defending as badly now as we were. That first training session I went to that day that I did Warburton's interview, you know, he, they were running a, a, a sort of seven-on-seven seven attack v defence on a small-sided pitch with full-size goals drill and a defence that was basically our first-choice defence conceded five goals in five minutes in that drill and he stopped the drill and started shouting, you've conceded five in five minutes, it can't happen, it can't happen, five in five minutes, guys, that can't happen. It's still bloody happening now, like, a year later. So we haven't sorted that. I do wonder, given... When you see how well you know a basic team like Millwall does and, and some of the teams that have finished above us, I do wonder if we'll look back on us playing as well as we did and having somebody like Eze, who's exceptional, somebody like Bright, Hugel and Wells up front, who are really good championship strikers. I wonder whether we might look back on, on maybe we should have done better and we, we, our expectations were so low in the summer that we see this as an achievement, finishing 13th, when actually... The team was maybe if it had, like you say, come back from lockdown better or defended a bit better, could defend corners. Maybe we could have actually done better than we did and we're just kind of settling for second best because we didn't expect any better. But overall, I think given the situation he inherited, what we had to do last summer, some of the football we played, some of the games we've been to and the fact how young the team is, there's always going to be that inconsistency there with a young team. I think it's been a really good achievement. Uh, we've moved in the right direction and um, just next season you want to see is, you know, hopefully three or four places higher still and just keep moving in that direction. We always said it would be a, a slow turnaround um, and unlike the McLaren season, this season I actually felt like we made some really key progress in a number of areas. Flo, were you going to say uh, something? I was just going to say, yeah, I think the only worrying thing is the fact that we've regressed defensively. I think we have the second worst goal difference after Luton in the league. Um, And we haven't, although we've shown so much growth across the field, that's the one place where we haven't grown at all. 
I think it's positive that we've got someone in Osman Kakai that we feel like going forward could be our right back because that was becoming a bit of an issue with Kane and Rangel chopping and changing, can't keep fit, bit all over the place. But that's at least something to look forward to. But the centre-back pairing and, and if Manning stays at left-back, we, we need to just sort out that back four, back two, whatever it, whatever it is at times. But we need to... We need to sort it out because when we, we when we lose this attacking edge to us, you know, in the summer with Brighton and Eze definitely leaving by the looks of things, I'd be surprised if they don't. We've all talked about it, you know, on length. Then if we lose that firepower and that's something that's kept us alive at times and in games where we've just won by outscoring, what are we going to do? It's about how we spend. It's about how we, how much money we get, and how we spend that money. The recruitment this summer's got to be spot on. It's the first, probably the first time for ages that we're going to have some serious money to spend, and it cannot be wasted because we've got a lot of goals and assists to replace in the team, and we've already got a defence that needs work. So recruitment this summer needs to be absolutely bob on. And we've and already that- got one through the door, of course. Yes, G- George Thomas. I quite like that signing. That's the sort of signing I I like as making. You know, it's solid. It's definitely solid, and it's smart. And I think it always helps picking someone who's playing in the same league or same, you know, set up in in, in EFL. I think problem is, uh, it seems a bit risky now looking abroad, which I know sounds ridiculous, but I feel like you know what you're going to get a bit more when you look down the divisions. And I think it's it's a safe option, which hopefully come good. I like kids that got a whole load of League One or League Two games under their belt before they're twenty, like Bright did, and people like that. I like I like that about him. I like that he was captain of Leicester's under twenty threes last year. Obviously, like the price, he's he's free, and you know if you haven't got a Category One academy, then Category One academies can just come and nick your teenagers. So, quite a good strategy is to pick up those teenagers as they then fall back out of that system. At, 21, 22, 23, that's how we got Masterson, you know, just picking mm. up those players that fall out of the system's not a bad way to go. So I was reasonably pleased with that signing. Uh, I also thought Ram Kilda wasn't, I don't know if that's how you pronounced it, but Ram Kilda wasn't totally useless the other night as well. So mm. doesn't look like we've wasted that one yet, but we uh, will wait and see. All right. Clive, you just mentioned the money that we'll have to spend for the first time in a while. I think that money will go far as well because another thing that came up on on the podcast that first podcast of the year that I listened back to was Mark Warburton saying forget it the big money the big budgets of championship teams days are gone I think he said at the time 60 million was spent last summer in the championship now if rumors are to be believed that we may get paper talk of course but they're talking about figures up to 20 million quid for Eze. Yeah. Now I have no idea if it will get anywhere near that, but it feels like he may be the anomaly in the championship. I think he definitely should be. I mean, I, I when we did the last podcast, I think the people were asked about the price and <clears throat> I said, yeah, you, you've got to start at 20 million with him. Well, <laughs> I don't know how much of these, you know, there's gossip and there's gossip. If someone said Palace were going to bid 28 million, which I think is preposterous, I don't, I can't see that happening at all. The Hugill, 15 million plus Hugill from West Ham, that I could, I, that's a possibility. But then, who's going to pay all his wages? I don't. All, all of these things also rely on other things coming into place, right? Palace have to sell Zaha to free up the money to get Eze, and there's. That's why it's all, all the chains are sort of connected. And if you're going to have a bidding war, then we need another club who's in a similar position to have the cash to set to set that up. But what it's, I'm it's also what, yeah, go on, it's also go about wages. A lot of the players I see, I see on Twitter a lot, like lists of players. Why aren't we signing this player? Why aren't we signing that player? Look at these players that are available. It's also about wages. Quite you know, Hugill's wages are far beyond us. If he is going to come here, it's not just about as a part of a swap deal for Eze, you know, we cannot pay the wage that Hoogle is on at West Ham. So either he has to take a pay cut to come, which footballers just don't do. He'll sit his contract out at West Ham and go out on loan again if he needs to. Or West Ham are going to have to swallow a chunk of his wage to get rid of him. It's not just as simple as Eze is going to West Ham and we want Hoogle, so we'll do a straight swap. The, you know, the wages are as much of a thing as the, as the transfer fee. 
The trouble is we're going to have once in a lifetime, aren't we? Samuel, Manning, Eze is going to bring a big chunk of money in. Sadly, what's going to take a big chunk of money out is no crowds, no income, no this, no no, no. goes for that amount of money, that is going to be a one-off in the championship because all the evidence is players that would have gone for 20 million pre-COVID will not be going for anywhere near that. Well, apart from what's his face at Birmingham... Who went for um, Jude. Jude Jude Birmingham is spawny bastard. I mean, that is a dreadfully <laughs> run, a dreadfully run club that breaches FFP constantly, just frequently every year, and they've managed to happen upon an accidental purchase in Che Adams that's made them twenty million, and now some kid out there, Utah, has made them twenty million. They're spawny, and, and as funny as it would have been to see Villa coming down, that's another positive in that it's three. Although Watford will probably just spend and go back up. Bournemouth could, they did before. But it's three smaller clubs coming down rather than, as I've said before, Villa and Newcastle coming into the Championship skewed the market, particularly for strikers. So it's probably a good thing that they've uh, they've stayed where they are. We've just got to be clever. I mean, whatever we do, we've just got to be clever. We've got to be smart. And every player that comes in, one and three, has to work at least. Be great if everyone works, but that doesn't work at football. But we need that goal poacher. Maybe play two up top. I don't know. We need more goals. But yeah, fair point. We wait. We can see way too many goals. Way there's too a couple. Many there's a couple of things. There's a couple of things need to happen. Lee, who's like whenever we've criticised them for selling Smithy's too cheap or Freeman too cheap, the club and and who's has always come back with there was only one club interested. If we do get a bidding war going for Eze, then you know it's it's time to show that we're not letting players go for cheap. We have to get serious wedge for him and then we have to spend it well you know the criticism of Les Ferdinand and recruitment some of it valid some of it over the top you know if this will be the first time he's got some money to spend it has it really has to go well mm. Chris um we haven't asked you about your verdict on the season oh, yeah. from Mark Warburton but Clive thinks that he's going to get away without giving a grade for Mark Warburton so uh, B but I, I feel like I'm being harsh because literally he was asked to secure us in the championship, reduce the wage bill, develop young players, and he's ticked every box. So it probably should be an A, but B because I'm miserable. Well, I gave B plus, so I don't think it's that harsh. That's pretty standard. I think it's a bit harsh. Chris, I have no what? idea lying down on the floor or sitting up against a wall. Uh, I'm sitting up against the wall. It's... um. Uh, it's stuff that was yeah it, I, I, I can't even bother to explain but I am sitting up yeah um, <clears throat> no I think you know I agree with a lot of the stuff that's been said I mean I, I would say when we had that win to go second by beating Brentford which clearly didn't happen I was very much you know as a football fan you're always looking up or looking down and looking at possibilities things you can things you can't do that's the beauty of being a football fan and at that point in time I was convinced that we were good enough to be in the top six so on that basis, I'm actually, you know, quite disappointed. But given our form post-lockdown, um, I guess, you know, there was a chance of us getting sucked, sucked into it. And given all the other stuff that's been mentioned about Warb- Warburton's brief, then I think that's fair enough. But there's two, there's two things going on. First of all, you've got the for entertainment, put the smile back on their faces, bringing the best out of people like Bright, Eze, Manning, um, and, and our all-round attacking play, 67 goals we scored, fifth best in the division, three more than Fulham. So that's the one side. Then the other side, you've got the defence. I mean, I can remember back in the old days when Mark Bowen came on the podcast and famously said we didn't bother um, practising defending at corners. And from what I've seen this season, that hasn't really changed because we're still in shocking errors, some of them quite recently. And the defence as a whole, 76 goals defeat it conceded, Third worst in the division, only Hull and Luton conceded more. So going back to what Flo and Clive and Finney said, that we need to work on that, tighten up the defence. So A for attack, D for defence. Can't say fairer than that, can I? So what's that, an average of B? I'll give him a B, yeah. Maybe a B plus. Okay. Um, Right. Next. What about you, David? You haven't done yours. I haven't, but I try not to repeat stuff that anyone has said. And to be honest, Flo, I agree with most of what you said. I think Warburton has done a remarkable job compared to what could have been. 
I, I repeat it again, 15 players out, 15 players in. We had not heard of a, a, a whole bunch of them. Some that we had had less than kind of um, glittering previous seasons, let's, let's say. We talked about those friendlies, if you remember them, back in the summer, Watford, uh, Boreham Wood. Boreham Wood, that was a classic. I don't remember if we won a friendly. I think, did we play Oxford or someone? We may have won one. Uh, two two of, at Oxford was, I think, the best we did. <laughs> two two at Oxford, yeah, and and uh, like that Boreham Wood game, which I was at, we got turned over in. Um, and by the way, if we're looking for a striker, that I will not forget that geezer who scored against us that day. I watched, I watched him at the weekend. They lost to Harrogate in the playoffs. He was less effective against Harrogate than he was against Yoan Barbe. Kabongo to Shimanga, I believe. Yeah, I, I was on, it was on the telly on Sunday. I was like, oh, sign him up, sign him sign up. Him up. <laughs> um, I think the guy has done a remarkable job with one asterisk, which was the one that you mentioned, which was they screwed up lockdown and the preparation after that. And there was a lot of people very unhappy, and I completely understand that. They came out not fit. They were caught napping. They complained too loudly about how quickly the football was coming back, and it showed. If we'd have, we hit form, or we kind of got our mojo back the last three games, but it was a bit late. Um, but other than that, I think he has succeeded where loads of other managers had 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 failed it did come together for him in that he had some really nice players that he inherited so he had bright he had Eze, um chair made a really good contribution but he molded them together with kind of the the rest of them um sorry he also you know had cameron and wells came back but he made it happen and i'm i'm personally really pleased with the job that he's done so i take off a mark for the lockdown but i give him a minus that was a very long answer for someone who was trying not to repeat anything that anyone else said. It's a good one, though. Thanks. Um, hero of the season. I'll be very quick because my hero is Mark Warburton. I think he wins man of the season, if you include players and coaching staff. And my monologue has just been, so I won't repeat it. I'll, I'll do one briefly because I don't do much briefly, but I went for Dom Ball. Um, basically based on that idea of how low expectations were at the start of the season compared to the output. I don't think Don Ball has been as good as some of the hero worship would make out, but considering he hadn't been able to get in the Rotherham team for the previous three years, and I was also very suspicious of the signing. I'm always suspicious of signings that are a manager bringing in a mate, you know, worked with his dad at Watford, had him twice before. That never works very well at QPR, and that was the point last summer that I was like, this could go very badly wrong for us. But he's come in. I love his attitude. Celebrates every win like it's a World Cup. The defeats clearly get to him. Charges around like a mental thing. Really effective in a tough position on the field. Considering the expectations we had of him and his previous, what he'd done at his previous clubs compared to his output for us, he's been my hero. Should we um, also do, let's do hero and villain together so i'll give you i'll give you a beat clive to just think of i can your... do my i can do my villain i th- I, I was just going to do keith stroud again but it's, it's lazy in the end i went for calvin phillips at leeds i mean does he give a shit no he doesn't he's won the league with his with his boyhood club he reckons he's worth 25 million quid the leeds fans can't get enough of him he's probably going to go on and have a wonderful career and play for england but i just I don't think he's as good as everybody makes out. I think Leeds get unbelievable coverage when they're in our division. You know, he gets bummed to death if he goes within 10 yards of a Sky Sports presenter. He wins <laughs> He wins every online poll, every Twitter poll, because there's 30,000 Leeds fans voting for him. I He got, in my opinion, he's nowhere, he's not in the same league as Eze. Eze tore him apart at Loftus Road when we beat them. Obviously, Phillips has won the league, so it, it doesn't it doesn't matter to him. But he got frustrated that day because Eze had torn him apart. He got frustrated because he was losing, and he put a tackle in on Jeff Cameron that could have ended the guy's career. It was a disgusting challenge, and it wasn't the first time. He'd done exactly the same thing in exactly the same frustrated circumstance the previous year to the same player at Ellen Road. Um, Cameron absolutely lost it with him at Loftus Road, and I don't blame him, so I, I went with him. Chris, your heroes and villains. Sorry, did you say Chris? 
Yes, oh, Chris you did. Charles. Okay. You didn't. You didn't realise because I didn't do the full title. Yes, that was Charles. it. Yes. <clears throat> okay, hero on the pitch is an obvious one. This, so I'm going to go for Eze. I, I, I think he's a once in a generation player. Um, I think we we, we 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 look back on this um, and we'd be privileged to see him. Not as many flicks and tricks, tricks and spectacular goals as Tarabt. Not as an all round <clears throat> fantastic player as Stanley Bowles, but for me, he. He basically puts bums on seats, and I, I, I think we'll only realise how good he is when he's not there, if you know what I mean. And he's also a lovely, lovely, down-to-earth bloke uh, as well. Very modest, uh, complete antithesis <clears throat> to Clive's villain. So, yeah, that's on the pitch. Off the pitch, I go for Angel Rangel, who is the community player of the year. Um, he did a lot of work with the food bank charities. He's had his, his, his fingers and toes in every single project that QPR community in the trust have been, have been doing and again they've had a spectacular year and also a little shout out for Liam Kelly who volunteered to go and work with the Tiger Cubs QPR Tiger Cubs in his own time so yeah those three really I've been a bit greedy there but those three your villain oh my villain uh, I just it's a cop out this the villain is COVID-19 I think we were having a brilliant run we were second in the form table um, we had the momentum, the wind in our sails, and all bit between the teeth, and all the other uh, cliches. Then we got stopped in our tracks, and as you rightly said, we weren't properly prepared for the way back when we returned. That was our fault. I do think if the season had continued without the the, the, the dastardly COVID nineteen, then it might have been a bit different end altogether. Finney, um, <clears throat> God, Chris just took mine. I was going to say COVID, but well done anyway. Um, you can say it. Now I've, I've changed my mind. I've gone for something else, a bit more controversial. Be funny that. Um, Hero of the year, Lumley, in my opinion, because he got absolutely battered by some people. I mean, having your own fans mock you when you catch a ball is beyond disgusting, to be honest with you. And that was awful. And he came back excellent. Uh, didn't let anyone down or him and. Didn't, and the most important thing, when he was out of the team and he was dropped and he had all that abuse and he came off social media and everything else, didn't whinge, didn't use any excuses, got his head down and came back and fair play to him. So for me, Lumley's a hero because he didn't do the obvious thing, which was sulk, slag the fans off. And I hope the guys... We've got to make our minds up here, guys, in some ways. We want youth. We want people to come through. Don't fucking boo them. That's just a nonsense, and it helps no one, and it kind of defeats everything the club is trying to do going forward. So please don't do it. It's up to you. I can't tell you what to do. But when he was getting jeered for catching the ball and applauded or whatever, it was embarrassing, and my heart sank for the lad. So definitely hero. Filling is the Football League and the Premier League, who will gladly let people spend billions of pounds, millions of pounds, and their clubs go to business. Um, let Berry go to business uh, for really bad ownership. The, the the situation at Wigan is an absolute disgrace. We should have people in the Football League resigning en masse, but they won't because they're cowardly bastards. And the Football League, to me, are an absolute disgrace, not fit for purpose. And if three or four don't resign in the next couple of years, they're also gutless. So they're my villain. I literally Finny, don't think my, I've agreed with my villain in a five-minute period in my entire life than, than that. <laughs> That was Sorry, my Clive, villain, uh, Finney. That was my Cl- villain. Sorry, Clive, what did you say? I missed that. What did you say, Clive? <laughs> I didn't hear what he said. Generally, was he saying something uh, nice? He's never... Don't make him say it again. Unlikely. He's ne- he said he's never agreed with you more in a five-minute period in the, his entire life. So what, take what it. He ha- oh, OK. He has, actually. When I asked him if he wanted a beer once, and he died of shock. But yeah, go on then. I'll, I'll take um, that. Flo... So I think the the good thing is is that we've had so many heroes to choose from, which feels quite rare, actually. It feels like the villains would have outweighed the heroes normally, but that's the nice thing about this season. My hero was Eze, but it was kind of predictable. But I agree with Chris. I think he is a a once-in-a-generation player and we should be so proud that he decided to spend a couple of years with us. And obviously he did make it in some other youth sides, but... He made it with us and, you know, we could get 20 million quid out of it. So it's a pretty amazing, amazing situation and an amazing player. And, you know, we love to 
sometimes claim some of Raheem Sterling's greatness, but now we actually can sort of claim some of Eze if he hopefully goes on to, to be a star as well. And I was also going to say Angel Rangel for his community work and just how much he's given to the club who, you know, he's, he's, he's a really old pro. He's already, you know, made quite a lot in his career, but he's still literally willing to put his body on the line. And that's pretty incredible because you wouldn't see that from a lot of players. I mean, Grant Hall's only 28 and he wasn't willing to sign a new contract at the club. So the fact that Rangel's willing to tear his Achilles for not very much, you know, what, you know, what's it to him? I respect that so much. And he just seems like an incredible guy. And just to see how Swansea fans cherish him, you know, means that I hope that even if he can't play anymore, he does remain with the club in some way, in, in some capacity, because he seems like such a great guy. And there aren't many of those in football, sadly. My villain is definitely the EFL. Uh, for all of what Finney said, looking at the whole situation and also looking at the writing on the wall at Charlton, which is completely mirroring what happened at Barry. There's a lawyer who is now involved at Charlton, who's been involved at two other clubs that have now gone to the wall. It's completely shocking. It's awful. The whole situation is so depressing. And time and time again, the the football the football league who to their credit and the premier league too actually handled the whole return to football not too badly in terms of testing in terms of keeping keeping covid out so yeah clap for that but on the other hand you know it doesn't make up for all the other shit that fans have been through over the last couple of decades and the fact that we are on the verge of seeing three clubs go down who may not exist anymore um, come September so it's pretty depressing and we should count ourselves lucky because we could have been in that same position and who knows we might be in the future and I think that's what's so miserable about the people who are leading this game in this country. Look at the bottom three in the championship this year Hull being deliberately asset stripped and run into the ground over many many years by owners because they were grumpy that they didn't they weren't allowed to buy the ground. Wigan we know all about Charlton Flo's just outlined three EFL disaster cases that the league are asleep at the wheel, just letting this shit go on. It's, it's disgusting. On the, on a happier note, Rangel, like you say, Lyle Taylor, Grant Hall, people, oh, I don't really want to play in lockdown, might cost me this, might cost me that. Angel Rangel's probably just cost himself the last contract of his career by playing for us in meaningless lockdown matches. So, yeah, round of applause. Uh, I, I didn't do my villain. My villain was actually the Lyle Taylors of this world. Um, and maybe Grant Hall, although I hesitate because I don't know 100% of the situation. But uh, I, I get it. And and the, the flip side of not playing and opting not to see out the last month or so of your contract is the Angel Rangel situation. But there's something a bit unsavoury and selfish and not honourable about it. He he, and, he would have kept that club up. He would have kept that club well, up. He, they he, came so yeah. close. He, he sent them down um, through his own selfishness. And there, there was a bit too much of that from too many players. So that they the Lyle Taylors, plural, would be my villain. Um, okay, so then well, that, what that leaves is moment of the season and goal of the season. Um and I'll, I'll, I'll kick that off only because I think a certain goal at Stoke City may come up. I'm going to go for uh, Brighton say Samuel at Birmingham City as my goal of the season. I just really enjoyed it. There is no in-depth analysis of this goal. It started at the back. It wasn't a move that kind of came from somewhere in the final third. It started at the back, a couple of lovely passes strung together, and then his pace, strength, finish and then the celebration the beating of the chest and all that it was joyous loved it my moment of the season is queen's park rangers 11 wales 2 <laughs> uh, which came in the first week of january which was great it was like well it's new year it's fa cup week we're obviously going to have a dip and not only did it not happen, we smashed these two teams, one of which in particular we've got a bit of previous with um, in Cardiff, of course, and we stuck six past them. And they were just two great performances straight on the spin. We thought for one week we're going to 
get into the playoffs and we're going to win the FA Cup or whatever. And it was just, it was just a brilliant time that in capture, and we didn't let in too many goals. We let in two, obviously, of those two games, but we didn't let in too many goals. And it just sort of was the, the perfect encapsulation of, if that is a word, of how this team can play when they were on their day slash days. Okay. Who should we go to next? Let's go to Clive for your moment and goal of the season. They kind of fuse together for, for the same reason, really. And it's it's to do with being there and being at the match and, you know, when those great moments happen, what it feels like and just how much how much I'm missing it. Um, my moment of the season, and hat tip to Sean Walsh for this, because I know this is his as well, um, is Ilias Chair's goal against Derby um, at Loftus Road. And it's for several reasons. One, because it was just one of those cold Tuesday nights in February where you sit in at work in the afternoon and you think, can I really be asked with this tonight? You know, you trek across on the central line and there's nobody there. There's no atmosphere. And, you know, it was one of those. So it was nice to get a reward for doing that. Two, Chair did his post-match interview in a white fur coat and described the goal as strictly business. I mean, what a chap. Like That just appeals to me. Three, because a certain somebody set the goal up with a cross-field pass from his designated quarterback role that he decided he was going to play for Derby that night and was going to stand <laughs> there and spray passes and, and look absolutely wonderful. He managed to spray that one to someone that does actually still have some ability left in them who ghosted past two of their players and set the goal up. And I just the sycophantic coverage that the championship gets from Sky when a club like Leeds is in there or a club like Newcastle, a club like Aston Villa, just clubs that Premier League people have heard of and players that Premier League people have heard of, it really grinds my gears. The whole Frank Lampard's Derby County really did my head in. They had three top Premier League players on loan last season and didn't go up. That is a failure. And Frank Lampard was lauded for the job he did at Derby and aren't Derby wonderful to watch and isn't Frank brilliant and here's the job you always dreamed of. And this year... You know, Derby are an abysmally run club. They chuck, mil- they breach FFP. They sell their ground to themselves. They get a free pass every year. Every time I have them on Sky, I'm told, Derby are doing it right now. Derby are investing in youth. Derby are doing this. They're a model club and blah, blah, blah. They got Wayne Rooney playing quarterback. And that night he popped one straight on Eze's toe. And Eze set off down the pitch. And I just said, I said, I'm not, if we score this, I'm going to absolutely lose my shit. And I did. And... I would apologise to everyone that was sitting around me, except I don't regret a single minute of it. Um, so that was my that was my moment of the season. I think it speaks to what QPR used to be, big old names at the end of their career and big money fannying about, and what QPR is now, which is, you know, bright young kids that we did actually scout and sign. You know, we, the recruitment could be better, but we found Chair and we found Eze and we're not going out and bringing Jisung Park in or Wayne Rooney for the tail end of his career. So... It meant a lot, that goal. And the goal of the season, look, is Eze at Stoke. But I went for Brights for kind of the same reason because it, as much as I miss it, when you go to Wigan on a Tuesday night or Blackburn on a Tuesday night or Birmingham on a Tuesday night and we don't perform and we, don't, and we lose the game as we do so often, it's a long night. You know, it's a long way back and miserable nights spent in Premier Inns. And just being at St Andrews that night and seeing Bright get the ball and set off and I could see he was against Colin, who had been booked in the first half when he shouldn't have been. And I just started saying, he doesn't want you here, Bright. He doesn't want you here, Bright. He doesn't want you here, Bright. And as he's coming towards me, I can still see him. And I'm saying it louder and louder. And as it turned out, I didn't realise this at the time, but punching the guy next to me harder mm. and harder the closer he gets to us. And then to just see him, like you say, whop it in the roof of the net. And it was the making of him, wasn't it? This player we weren't. Yeah, everything after that he touched turned to gold and that that was the moment that that he really came of age so just I can still see him running towards me and I just I miss going to football so much and those two moments those two goals that really bring it home you know I'm not sitting here remembering the 3-0 defeat at Cardiff and the long journey back and all the pain in the arse that we've been through when you when football's taken away from us as it has been it's the bright goal and the chair goal and Eze at Stoke that you remember and you remember how it made you feel. And I just, I can't wait to get back and see more of that. 
Uh, you've put that far more beautifully than I certainly did uh, and could have attempted to. I do. I was thinking about the bright goal, though. I'd take slight mark off for the kit. That kit does not deserve that goal <laughs> against it. Terrible. It's still better than the pink kit, and I'm muting myself, and I'm not listening to anybody <laughs> that disagrees. Right. Flo, moment and goal. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to pick Eze's, actually, against West Brom because I just think it was... Quite a nice way to sign off. Such a good goal in front of the telly, in front of Billage, who was kind of open-mouthed at it as well, and just kind of really showed the league that the chat about him and the chat about us at times isn't just chat. It's, you know, it's actually, you know, we can perform on our day. I did really like the bright one, and I think what's, you know, when he scored that goal, Hunman Son had scored a similar goal maybe a week before against Burnley, and that goal yeah. ended up winning... Spurs' goal of the season, Hummingson's worth, what, 50 million quid and Bryce Samuel's apparently maybe only worth four. But it's interesting how close together those goals were. And I was looking back at the WhatsApp. My brother sent me a screenshot of the WhatsApp on the family group that night. We were watching the game on the TV and it was just loads of swear words and just capital letters of like, oh my God, that goal is insane. So... Just going back to the reviews as well of the season, the fact that we have so many good goals to talk about is amazing. It's amazing. Um, And my moment of the season, being Leeds is always fun. Watching Patrick Bamford, the donkey, miss a penalty and Kelly save it is always enjoyable because he's absolute crap. So I love that. But the 6-1 against Cardiff was really special because I was, I'd taken the day off work because it was New Year's Day and I knew I'd be hungover. So I decided not to work. And then I woke up on the morning and I was so hungover. I thought I was going to die. And I thought, no, I'll go, you know, I'll go on my own. No, none of my family wants to go with me. My boyfriend didn't want to go. So I said, you know, what? I'll go on my own. I thought I was going to throw up on the central line. It was touch and go, got there and got to witness, you know, our biggest one of the season against Cardiff, who I also hate. So it was well worth the trip and I instantly felt better as well. My hungover, hangover disappeared. So, yeah, so Cardiff was just, I mean, amazing, amazing. Trick. A hat trick. Yeah, a hat trick. We don't see a lot of those. Oh, I miss that, man. Chris, not, not don't miss Chris. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... Reviewing very quickly what, what's already been said. Yeah, I mean, Swansea in Cardiff, I managed to make both of those amazingly. Um, and, yeah, 11-2 against two teams, two of the four teams in the playoffs. That's not too bad, is it, really? Um, yeah, both both incredible. But I think my moment was probably Millwall away. Uh, we hadn't won there since 1990. Um, went along, well, well, Finney and various other, various other people. They're always lovely going to Millwall as well away. Um, and yeah, we 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 only scored first through 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 Naki. Um, we were sort of dominating really. Then they equalised, and so everyone was expecting the uh, you know the, written in the stars Matt Smith headed winner in the 90th minute. But amazingly, we scored straight away. Naki Wells hold on to it, um, and that was our fourth winner row at that stage. That's when I was talking earlier about looking up the table. That put, took us up to fourth, I think. Came on the back of the Luton win off that brilliant Hugo goal at Sheffield Wednesday, where I was also at. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that time. And, and it was quite a nice day as well. It felt brilliant to be a QPR fan. And, and I think that we were playing our peak football at that time. Um, so that is my moment of the season. Goal of the season, um, agree with all the ones that have been mentioned so far, but I am going to go for Eze at Stoke. I think goals, witnessing the goal when you're there is, is it always makes it that bit, bit more special. And despite getting the... 10-hour sleeper train with Finney up to Stoke. Um, it was, uh, and I had my, my, my daughter with me. It doesn't make many too many uh, trips up north. Um, and I just think from start to finish, from the lump, brilliant pass from Lumsley, then everyone just went through the gears across the pitch, one-touch football, and Eze gets it, picks it up, accelerates. And it, I, I, yeah, it's just phenomenal. And it's one of those ones, a bit like the Trevor Sinclair goal, where everyone's just looking at each other, thinking, what the hell did I just see there? You know, and and then... Getting back on the train, going back home, watching it on match of the uh, match of the day, the equivalent of the championship, whatever it's called, that thing on Channel Five was yeah, awesome, absolutely brilliant. But as Flo said, so nice for a change, having a few good ones to pick from. Very good, Finney. 
You're well, just kicking off the season, the season for us, the podcast for us. Moment. Well, well I'll, I'll do goal first. To be fair, um, I would go for Ezzy at Stoke, but I went to the toilet. And then I came out and everyone just looked at me and went, you stupid bastard. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Do you remember that night, Chris? Yeah, you all looked at me like, what the fuck are you playing at? In actual fact, to be fair, I saw you at halftime and you stood there still having a beer. And I said, come on, Joe. And he goes, I'll be there in a minute, son. So I, I think it's not just the toilet. It was more the fact that you were just having that one last beer. Whatever. Um, so I missed it and I hit it myself. But it was just everyone's abuse was quite funny when I got back. But... Ezzy's goal, I mean, we were quite sport this year. You had, like, Manning's couple of goals, which were excellent. You had um, Hugel's um, Borough, which was amazing. You had Skyen, that, that one he fired in. Obviously, he wasn't best pleased at the time, but what a goal. And Wallace's and blah, blah. But I kind of go for Ezzy at um, West Brom just because it was like, if I'd have been Cantona or anyone like that, the press would be absolutely creaming themselves and it'd be in Sky Sports day in, day out. It was a footballer who has God-given ability doing what they do. Absolutely superb. Beautiful goal. Beautiful finish. Just, ah, I love that goal. The Stoke one, amazing from um, keeper out, bang. But I missed it. Everyone told me how great it was, Mel, which is good. Um, moment of the season was, for me, was just seeing the youngsters come through and, and, and actually seeing something happening. Something, something's clicking at QPR at last. And cutting the wage bill is probably the biggest moment of the season because that's so vital, so important to get, get us back to who we should be, what we should be, how we should be acting. No more Billy Big Bollocks. Bring in the right sort of players with the right attitude. If people want to let go and play somewhere else, they can fick off. We want people who want to wear that shirt with pride. And if we make money out of them at the end of the day and they're going to have a better career, that's all they'll class. So, yeah, moment of the season is seeing Cher, Manning, Eze, Samuel, all in the first team, all doing well. And we've actually got some assets for once. So, well done, Chris, Les, and Warburton, and Lee Hughes for making that happen. Um, yeah, I've only really had about three moments of the season in that answer. Well, but the other moment of the the other moment of the season just happened the podcast where, where um, Clive said something nice about me. I, I may need a moment after this that podcast. That's moment of the year of your life. Uh, Flo, <laughs> did you want to jump in? Yeah, I was just going to say, Finney briefly mentioned it there, but I think someone who deserves a lot of credit and I'm going to add to my heroes of the season is Chris Ramsey because we would not be making 20 million, potentially making 20 million quid off Eze and some cash out of others if it wasn't for him. And as I spoke on this very podcast about how much influence Chris, Chris Ramsey and Warburton have had on him and the way he plays. So I think Ramsey deserves a lot of credit of how he's been able to nurture some of those young players and create these assets for us. Well said. Well said. Um, and we have gone through an entire podcast and I think several episodes, if not half a season, without mentioning Tony Fernandez, which points to a sort of change uh, in things at this club for the better, I would say, in that the things on the pitch are much more the story. Air Asia's in a lot of trouble as well, isn't it? COVID hasn't been kind to Air Asia. I think, yeah, he's got, um, given that he's in airlines and hotels, that's not too business yeah. as you want to be. And it's probably a good thing that the shareholding has slowly been switching more to Ruben, who I think is in charge of the port of Malaysia. Or something, something ridiculous, which which is doing okay. So, uh, so yeah, the tra- purchase he's, he's the training prop- He's ground. proper money. Yeah, purchasing the training ground land for some cash during all this does suggest that we're not in we're not in too much bother. But yeah, not having Tony's little interventions um, is, is probably a good thing. How's the steel business doing these year? This, this these uh, these times, I don't know how much they've got. Now. Is it three percent or something? Or? I see, I see, that, I know, is it even less than that now? I don't know. Yeah, I know Amit's like the figurehead, but I, th- I think they only put him figurehead to try and take a bit of heat off Tony. And he's, he's a good representative for the club and a good chairman to have in London. But, you know, if, if Amit and the Mittals wanted to buy the club, they could have done that at any point yeah. over the last 10 years. It's not going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen. I think they're, 
I'm not they're sure too their smart. influence they're too or smart impact is kind of overstated player. a lot. I think the thing about Amit is he, Amit's happy face and, he's, he, and he is actually a decent German and he says the right thing and he puts himself, of course, brilliantly and embraces everything about QPR. That it's good because they're not putting that money in and perhaps that's no bad thing because maybe that's a, a divorce waiting to happen once you start throwing money at Rangers. And let's face it, we're shit with money anyway. Let's keep going the way we're going. Batia says the right thing at the right time. And uh, <laughs> there's one thing that always deserted Tony, bless him. <laughs> and it's still bad. This is probably good for his mental health as well, because I think it took its toll on him on Twitter and everything else, because he just always said the wrong thing and people just jumped on him. And it's, it's probably good for everyone just to have Amit in there. He doesn't get involved in, in spats and, and, and doesn't listen to people. So, yeah, well done, Amit, as well. Well, yeah, I agree. Um, I think. That's it. <laughs> I think that's it for the season. This is strange because usually our last podcast of the year is our live podcast, which is always good fun, and we have a guest and we, we go to a venue and, and and obviously that hasn't been possible for a number of reasons. I've got a few thank yous that I will go through. You can jump in with the people that I forget to thank. Um, but, well, first of all, thank you for all the people that have supported us. So our patrons and our beer sponsors, the podcast wouldn't be possible without you guys. Thank you to all the supporters, everybody who interacts with us on Twitter, social media, gives us ideas, slags us off, tells us they enjoy it, tells us they hate the podcast. It's all listened to, acted on. Thank you. Thank you for everyone that's come on. Um, thank you to all the guests that phoned in, ex-players, current players, um, I think particularly in lockdown I really enjoyed um, a lot of the guests that we had on um, thank you to the club yes we do we are not an official podcast yes we do call the club out when we need to but we do have a relationship with them hence why we get some guests from the club on and they've always been helpful uh, to us when we have required them so thank you thank you for always a pleasure and Thank you. If he comes off mute and just grunts his thanks, thank you to Harry, who twiddles the knobs and very rarely gets mentioned, but is our sound engineer. And thank you, Harry, for everything you've done for the season. Thanks, David. I was really hoping that that was going to prove that he doesn't actually listen, that he's not there. Yeah. I was, I was, I've always been sure that he just pops us on mute and goes off and he's does alive. something. He's alive. He's a good exists. It's like a, it's like a voice of God. Can I just say two quick things before we, we no, wrap up, David? No, but that's not going to stop you. First, first one is Andrew Alexander is having an operation this week. Andrew, I hope it goes well. I hope you recover well, and we'll have a coffee and a chat up soon. And the other one is that my friend Mark Thornhill is being buried tomorrow um, in East London. Um, he's being buried in his QPR shirt. And, um, yeah, uh, I'm sad about that, but I'm pleased that he's he's he's, he's, he's um, leaving the world and hopefully in his Rangers shirt. And you can say hello to Daphne for us. We're sending way too many people up to Daphne these days. Hopefully 2020 be kinder to our fan base that way. Rest in peace, Mark. Best of luck, Andrew, with the operation. And also on that note, again, I know we spoke about it, but Dean McKee, I mean, I, I mentioned the coronavirus a little bit more flippantly earlier on, you know, and we're given the form and all that stuff, but clearly um, there's a very, very serious side to it. And we, you know, Dean McKee, the, the, the club poet, for want of a better word, um, we lost him like several months ago now, young man, well to his feet, lovely fella. So, yeah, I'll add that to finish. And he was, was he, did I... See, he was named as supporter of the season. He was, yeah. He was. He was named uh, supporter of the season. Um, so very, yeah, just, a, just a really, really nice fellow. And I'm not, you know, not just saying that he he actually was. Um, and yeah, really sad loss. Very fitting. And we also lost the club historian as well, Gordon Macy. A couple of days ago, died as well. So it's been a pretty painful season for ever, like you know, a lot of the fan base, but. Unfortunately, that's been the, the scary and strange mm. situation of the pandemic. I remember when the first games came back and lots of clubs had put out shirts for all the fans that had died and there was you know, always a couple of shirts in the stadium. It's, it's, it's very eerie and I just hope that we don't go back to those times because, 
yeah, it's been it's been really difficult for everyone, but um, hopefully, yeah, that's it. And, the, and Gordon was responsible for putting up the plaque at St Jude's Hall um, that said the QPR was formed in 1886, um, and he worked really hard on that. And he was a really, really, really good, decent human being, and he was an absolute gentleman. He will be sadly missed, and he actually wrote history books about football you could read. Amazing bloke, lovely fella, and um, yeah, he will definitely, definitely, definitely be missed. And for the for obviously we we lost um, the landlord of the Crown and Scepter, but I know Clyde the Crown and Scepter is back, and you will be there. Saturday um, morning, you've at already been there. I'll be in there. So for, not, for not all even, the, I'm not even kidding. If you think that was me, like being flipped, something's never like, changed. Saturday morning, eleven o'clock, we're going to be there. So for all the businesses that are left, including Mr. Paul Finney's after the pandemic, support QPR local oh, business. Bless you. Bless you. Um, Thank support you. the support the Crown, support all the other pubs because it's a really hard time for everyone involved in that sort of business. So let's keep every part of the club going, whether that's you know, a fish and chip shop, a pub or whatever it may be, it's all part or of the community. A kick up the hours. Yes, exactly. The digital version looks superb. If you've got if you've got a little bit of spare cash, you can chuck Dave's way. It's well worth your while. It's a great. It's a, it's a, is there any uh, way? Yeah. Sorry, I should, should, probably, should probably say this offline. But is there any way we could get a, a crowdfund uh, that going? Well, what you need to do, Chris, what everyone needs to do is once they listen to the podcast, once they hear anything to do with QPR, is follow Dave on Twitter or social media. Twenty quid. Bung it his way, and the additions have been superb. Oldest fanzine still going, one of the oldest, and always independent like ourselves. But we'll praise and criticise Nickel Measures, but it's a bloody good read. Support Dave. Don't, yeah. don't let us lose the kick up the arse. It's as beautiful as Stanley Balls, as Tony Curry, as anything you could have imagined. Johnny Byrne, even though he didn't remember he played for us. And so Yeah, right, Finney, we get the picture. Okay, Finney. Yeah. Did I, did I miss um, did I miss anyone out? He's he's the, he even looks like a Delta rat. Um okay. just, that, that, that concludes our ninth season of the podcast. When we return, oh. we'll be in our the, on our tenth year anniversary tour. But David, they only give us ten minutes. Yeah. It's true. What, what, what is that? Is that tin or something? Or what is? What's the tenth anniversary? Wood? I don't know. Right, we are dragging out the <laughs> season. So I'm going to end is the podcast here. We, someone we, said, someone said wood the other week, and they didn't get enough laughs. So I'm going to laugh at that. I one. know it's yeah. true, and it was flow. Um, so <laughs> ten years, we get wood like it. We've only got six weeks until the start of the new season, until the next episode. So. Is that six weeks until wood? Yeah, uh, we've done that. We've done that. We've done that. Right. Um, this has been the longest goodbye to a podcast, so I, I, I'm ending it. Um, thank you all. That has been finally 2019-20 done, out. Here's to next season. This has been Open All Ours. UPR. UPR. Come on, Ranger!